It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to episode two of Superheroes You Should Love, our ongoing investigation of our culture's fascination with superheroes, as brought to you by Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Uh, this episode um, is going to be all about Doctor Who here in just a moment, uh, but before we get into that, I just want to warn you that this is um, unexpectedly personal. I didn't really uh, realize just how intimate some of the some of the some of this conversation gets until after I'd already recorded it. It takes a very natural course digression. It goes exactly where it should go, and I think that honestly there is a very um, there's a lot of truth in what is kind of discussed here, and it, this may be kind of at the core of uh, a lot of fandoms all around the world. Anyway, I just wanted to give you that warning, uh, because uh, this episode begins um, in my childhood and ends uh, in my adulthood. <laughs> uh, growing up as a Christian, growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist specifically, uh, kind of filled my childhood with all sorts of fascinating characters uh, who some might be able to describe as superhuman. Uh, as, a, as a little boy, I remember really being taken by the story of David and how he took on Goliath. And, you know, stories of Samson kind of being the original Superman in a lot of ways. There was a lot of really amazing stories in the Old Testament, the New Testament. And then when you get into um, the Seventh-day Adventist story, there's a lot of very fascinating stories of people with visions kind of sculpting the future and redefining the past and uh, very fascinating and uh, imaginative ways that just kind of really made you want to play along. And as a child, as an only child specifically, I was definitely one who was left to my own devices in a lot of ways. There are many, many times that I had to play by myself because I didn't have friends. Well, I <laughs> That makes it sound worse than it was. I had friends, but I didn't have siblings, you know. And so uh, my dad was in the military, and so we moved around a lot. We were, you know, moving every two or three years. And so there were these periods of time when I wouldn't have friends because I was in between making, uh, having just lost old friends and making new friends. And so there was a lot of time spent in my childhood with me and just my imagination. Um, the thing, though, about uh, some of the, uh, pardon the, pardon the word, uh, C.S. Lewis used it, so I feel justified using it. But part of the problem with the Christian mythology is when you want to go on adventures and you want to use your imagination, there is an implicit uh, reverence you're supposed to have for these characters. And I always felt a little bit funny trying to, you know, go on adventures, imaginary adventures with David and Samson and uh, Moses and all these other characters who I thought were really, really interesting and did really cool things. Um, and so when my mom, when I was five or six years old, my mom taped the first Superman movie for me. She taped it off, uh, off television, and uh, being that was my introduction to the superhero. Uh, there was something about Superman specifically that I, I've carried through throughout the rest of my life, and I think uh, he as a as an icon of so many different uh, good things. He fought for truth and justice and the American way, which were all things as a young, uh, as a young boy with, uh, whose dad was in the military that I could really connect to and relate with. However, there was the added bonus that he was a, admittedly a fictitious character. He was a product of imagination. And so I could do anything I wanted with him. I could make him say things and do things and treat people the way I wanted to. Um, and I could do that 
in a way that I, I felt more comfortable doing that with Superman than I felt like I, I should with uh, someone like Jesus or someone like Moses or David or Joshua. Um, and so this new character, this new type of character that could do some of these amazing things that I had only previously found in the Bible, but was now somebody that I could do anything with. I could, you know, guilt-free and not feel like I was kind of being uh, irreverent or something along those lines. It introduced me to this whole new, very imaginative world, and that it was the introduction to Superman. And then throughout, uh, and Superman was was my superhero for my kind of my formative years. I would say really kind of through through elementary school, Superman was my man. He, uh, I dressed up like Superman for two or three Halloweens in a row. Even when it wasn't Halloween, I still wore the suit. You know, just running around playing um, Superman. I mean, he was this. Um, this character, this icon, that to me that inspired me to do good, um, and to me that was always the difference between Superman and Batman. Superman inspired me to do good, where Batman always inspired me to be good, and Batman was always this kind of uh, more authoritative father figure that I didn't really need. I wanted someone who could just grab me, <laughs> and we could go flying, and we could go do anything we wanted. I didn't need someone else telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. <laughs> so it was Superman until high school when um, I was kind of, it was right around, I was probably introduced to Spider-Man in fifth or sixth grade by uh, friends uh, Conrad Melanson and Doug Driftmeyer. Um, I had my G.I. Joe comics, my Superman comics, my DuckTales, and my Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and they introduced me to Spider-Man. And it really probably wasn't until high school that it really clicked with me that how cool Spider-Man was. I always knew he was cool when I saw him. Like that, that going from that red and blue uh, Superman to red and blue Spider-Man was really super easy when I saw um, how really he kind of stood for a lot of the same things. And also, bonus points, he had a super hot red-headed wife. Which, if you don't know me, I married a super hot red-headed wife. <laughs> so there was a lot there. So I went from Superman to Spider-Man. And then it was those two kind of going back and forth uh, throughout my whole... Even now today, there are, there are three superheroes that I, I fall back to. And the most recent one is one I was introduced to uh, by a good friend at work. And so um, I go from Superman, truth justice american way then i go to uh spider-man that reminded that with great power comes great responsibility and that kind of gives way to this new superhero of sorts and i want to we're going to go to tanya clifton now who um, i work with and she was the one who introduced me for the first time to uh, the doctor Okay, um, I this is the story that I remember, and you can correct me if you remember it differently, but uh, I started working at McKay Used Books here in Chattanooga, and you were already working there. And uh, one day, I picked up, I think it was season, it was, it was season one of uh, Doctor Who, of the relaunch, Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor. And you walked by and you were like, do you watch Doctor Who? I was like, maybe, I don't know. And you're like, you need to watch Doctor Who. <laughs> yes, it, it, it was so hard to actually, at that point, find people who were into Doctor Who. 
because I grew up with it. So for me, it was like, oh my god, they're bringing it back. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, and that's that's one of the, the really cool things I've I've experienced with uh, the getting into Doctor Who is is the excitement of the fans. It's mm-hmm. um, I've tried I've told other people this, but Whovians, this uh, ever growing. A group of fans uh, they are some of the most excitable and excited and friendly and supportive fans I've ever I've ever met you know I, I grew up not with Doctor Who in my life but as a Star Wars fan and throughout my life especially recently it's not even worth bringing up Star Wars even with fans of it because you're like hey guys I just heard and as soon as you say that they're like yeah but George Lucas and you're like yeah but Empire Strikes Back and they're like yeah Jar Jar Binks and you're like okay yeah. I'm gonna go over here now but like <laughs> Whovians are, are have been are really really cool they just they, they I think they understand the importance of uh, teamwork or, uh, they understand the importance of a good companion <laughs> yeah we even accept Adric yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> and so it's like, because Doctor Who, I mean, this is 2013 when we're recording this, it's the 50th anniversary of the show, um, so this is a character who's been around for, well, 50 years, and so it can be really intimidating to get into that, and I think I think everybody has experienced it at some point, um, unless there are people out there who've been watching it since episode one, um, there, at some point you have to just take the plunge. And yeah. I, we all have that experience. And so now I think everybody is kind of eager to, like, hey, if you want to take the plunge, it's a lot of fun. And I'm here to, like, you were. You were there to answer all my questions. I, like, yeah. I would come back to work the next day and be like, tell me about the time war. What is going <laughs> on? <laughs> what, is this, what is the TARDIS again? I don't understand, you know. Um, but uh, enough about me for a second here. Uh, tell me about the Doctor. You know, um, this might be an opportunity to talk about the Doctor and Doctor Who because... Um, we're kind of experiencing this while while superheroes have kind of taken over the cinema. It seems like in the past couple of years, Doctor Who, even though it's been around for fifty years, has been experiencing this this huge growth and resurgence of popularity. Um, but you've been there since before the relaunch in two thousand five. Um, what do you like about the Doctor? Tell tell our listeners who the Doctor is and kind of what he means to you. I guess I don't know. For me, the doctor, it's it's the type of person who just takes you on an adventure and shows you how to have fun. It it's it's really it's kind of hard to put into words. It's I, I grew up watching Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, all that, and the doctor just always seemed seemed this epitome of the person you would want to run away with and not even question and you don't even know why right you would feel safe and scared at the same time and irritated but at the same moment you would turn around and just want to hug him right um for me the first doctor that i remember that i remember Mm -hmm. was um peter davison okay that's number five yeah yes Had to think. Dangerous. <laughs> for, the, yeah. for those of you who are who are scratching your heads right now, you have to understand that the Doctor is an alien from a different planet who has the ability to regenerate if his body is grievously harmed in some way, he's on the point of death. His body can fix itself and 
in doing that, usually what happens, or what has always happened, is um, it regenerates into a new body entirely. So there have been 11 actors who have played the Doctor throughout time. Um, and so if you start hearing people or hearing us in this conversation saying, oh, the fifth Doctor, the sixth Doctor, it's always the same character. Um, different actors, and with, with that come different personalities and different types of adventures. So, sorry, go ahead. Your, your first Doctor was the fifth. Yeah, and I, if I remember correctly, it will happen to be the episode where four turns into five. Okay, right there at the beginning. Yeah, um, but watching them on PBS, you never got to watch them in any kind of order. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do we have sitting on the shelf? Oh, here we go. We'll just put this one on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Doctor, you start out, let's go back to day one with the unearthly child. Right. You start out with these two teachers talking about one of their students who just almost seems she's so smart yet she doesn't seem to quite have what they feel is a grasp of a lot of the concepts or she has an advanced grasp right either and she's like, either she's she's far far more intelligent than them in certain aspects and then other aspects she goes no you guys are just wrong that's not how yeah. it happened at all as if she had been there or knew something more exactly and so they they follow her to this junkyard and she goes inside this blue box mm-hmm. this police call box yes and they're they're just uh, they're they're starting to worry about it about her and everything and they follow her in there and that's when we first meet the doctor mm-hmm. her grandfather because mm-hmm. it starts out you have the two of them here on earth and it's mostly if i remember correctly it's been a while since i've watched that one yeah. um it starts out with him basically wanting her to have to kind of have a grounded education yeah to learn yeah it, it really seems to start off that the show really seemed to start off as a as a tool for both fun and for education yes and so like the doctor really seemed to want uh susan to have a very grounded education and so he's like there were times that he wanted her to go to school and there were times that he was like well i'm just going to show you the aztecs so you know what they really were like right which is a good episode, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> First time I ever heard of Kexacodal that I can remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was one of my... That, that, other than the first episode, that was my first First Doctor story that I watched. Thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, and for a lot... To, going back to talking about the intimidation that mm-hmm. a lot of fans feel with 50 years worth... Um, like I would tell a lot of people, you can start out with the first or second season of the reboot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like to start with the second, with the Tenth Doctor, David yeah. Tennant. He's really accessible. Yes. Um, whereas for me, knowing kind of the background of the Doctor, mm-hmm. seeing Christopher Eccleston—excuse <clears throat> me—seeing Christopher Eccleston come in as the Ninth Doctor, you had this moody guy who seemed to be very random. I mean, just yeah. completely out there, but. In one moment, he might look at you like he is about to take your head off, and the next moment, he's got this childlike fascination dancing around. Yeah, like, yeah, the Eccleston, the Ninth Doctor, he, when you just look at him, he just looks dark and brooding, like, I'm yeah. not going to talk to this guy. But then he's got this big, goofy grin, and his, he's got <laughs> those big ears sticking out, and he's just like, he's bopping over there. You're like, okay, what's, what's yeah. your deal? <laughs> and it's, it, it actually. Once you start learning more about the Time War as it goes on, you begin to look at this doctor and you see um, this person who is so scarred 
and damaged. Mm -hmm. But he hasn't lost that sense of who of that fascination of rebirth, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. He still knows how to look at the universe, even being even being at 900 years old and still seeing something so full of wonder and amazement, it's as if he's seeing it for the first time. Yeah, and that was something that I... I think that's one of the first things that I really latched onto in this show. Um, David Tennant was really kind of my first... Um, because admittedly, when I first started watching it with Christopher Eccleston, I watched yeah. the first couple episodes, and I was like... You were like, eh! Yeah, I came back, and I was like, I don't think this show's for me. And you were like, find David Tennant. David yeah. Tennant will help you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And David Tennant just, it clicked. And there was yeah. something about seeing the universe through his eyes that was just kind of astounding. His... There were times where he could be so forgiving and just so, just like, look at this. This is amazing. Look at you. You run a shop. And that's fantastic. And you're like, what's fantastic about that? And then you you take a step back and you look at the way he would look at humans, look at life. Yeah. It's just so amazing that it's actually really inspiring. But there's other times where he just puts his foot down and is like, no, you've gone too far. This is, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's a strangely challenging character and show that I have that in a lot of ways has changed the way I look at life and the way I approach certain things, which is something yeah. that most fictional characters, I, I, I don't even like using the word fictional applied to the doctor, but I have to admit <laughs> fictional characters don't often do that for me. Like I love Superman, Spider-Man, Green Lantern, Batman, but they're not people who have, at least not recently, as I've turned 30, they are not people who still continually challenged my outlook on life. Yet the doctor... Right will show up and be like, yeah, I know it's these crazy little automatons, but we should, you know, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the 11 mm -hmm. in one of the more recent episodes when he says, in 900 years, I've never met anyone oh, who wasn't important. That That's one of my favorite lines. Yeah, that yeah. was in the Christmas Carol. Yes. Uh, he's talking to this Ebenezer Scrooge-like character, and he's like, they're not important. He's like, Really? That's fascinating. In 900 years of traveling through space and time, I've never met someone who's not important. Yes. And that just gets to the heart of, well, the character, but also to me, just like, it, that, that scene still gives me chills. Yeah. Where I just go, I want someone to talk about me like that. Yeah. <laughs> and with the Doctor, you feel the celebration of everyone. Every single mm -hmm. person is special for who they are yeah. and what they do. And it's been really amazing to me that this show does it in a way that's really not corny. Because, yeah. I mean, there, there, there'd be, I mean, Barney and Sesame Street yeah. kind of say the same thing, but when the doctor says it, there's there's a gravity there because, I don't you know, feel. It's, whether it's the actors or the writing or just seeing his life story, you believe him. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was this really funny uh, internet video. I'll have to find it and post it mm -hmm. on this uh, in the links of this uh, podcast. But um, there was like this guy who basically said Whovians are basically a religion. Whovianism is a religion that has, oh, yes. that has formed. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it just, it kind of cracked me up. But as he was talking, I was like, I don't know if he's wrong. <laughs> he's yeah. doing this very tongue in cheek, but I don't know if he's wrong. <laughs> well, it's a very, it's an idea that people can take to heart. I mean, Doctor Who was originally meant to be a children's program. Mm hmm and that, I don't think they really expected it to take off the way it did to become the BBC's flagship, so to speak. Yeah. With this huge following. But people just automatically just...
clung to it and began to embrace it. I mean, I've read stories about people talking about the, the terror they felt the first time that the Daleks were introduced. Right. I've read stories about that. Like, yeah. And, and you and even, I, he, go ahead. I was going to say, all you see is, you don't even really see anything. You just see her backing away. And you see, and this, you see a shadow. Yeah. Like, what am I looking at? Yeah. And people just talk about how terrifying it was. I mean, as an adult, if you look at it, it's like, oh, the concept of a Dalek is not that scary. I no. mean, but then when you really get into the. Oh, it's, the Daleks are fascinating. That's one of the yes. other things I love about this show is how they use certain characters as metaphors. Mm-hmm. When you get into the Daleks, especially uh, Tom Baker, uh, the fourth Doctor, has yes. a great, great episode. Or it's, it's actually a whole story. It's like four or five episodes. Yeah. Um, I think it's Genesis of the Daleks. Genesis of the Daleks. Where you, it is absolutely unmistakable that the Daleks yes. are the Doctor's version of Nazis. And there are Nazis yeah. in Doctor Who as well sometimes. But this is like this big intergalactic universal Nazi. And then they become terrifying. Then they actually become something that you understand why he treats them yeah. the way they do. And you understand why they behave the way they do. And... I love that. Same with like you go down through and start looking at all the races that way. And some mm-hmm. of them are, you know, sometimes, sometimes I feel like the, the Cybermen are kind of a riff still off the Daleks, but at the same time, you can start looking at the Santarans and the, and the Cybermen as all these different kind of conversations about mm-hmm. different ideas. And you can see why the doctor responds the way he does. Like, no, right. like, you guys are all individuals. You don't need to all share the same brain. Don't be, that you know don't be you know it's like it's it's fascinating and that's i don't know why i continue to go back to the show and it's like we're right in between this we're here in the middle of a uh, series seven of the relaunch and uh i'm excited i'm kind of giddy yeah. about the but about, about the doctor coming back we just had our the christmas special and uh, you know i can't wait to see what uh the doctor has in store for us next you know we just got this new tardis and this new companion who's a bit of a mystery and it's fun i mean it is some yeah. of the most fun I mean, Kelly and I, we, you introduced it to me, I introduced it to Kelly, and she's, she has her first convert at work, (laughs) which is just fantastic, because I bought her a little adipose, uh, uh, stress doll, Uh and, uh, she had it on her desk, and the, she, her friend kept coming by and asking questions about the adipose and about some of the different little Doctor Who things she has on her desk, and she's, and then the friend came back and was like, I watched the show, it's great. What 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 are these Daleks? What you know? She starts asking her these questions like, "What's going yeah. on with Amy? What is what is going on?" She's like, "Keep watching, keep watching." Oh, <laughs> Wagster's picking it up. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, and it seems. And it, it's, yeah. it's 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 one of the most fun things to share. It's like I have definitely in my life I've scaled back on recommending things to people and mm-hmm. pushing things on people because I have discovered not everybody likes the same things I do, and that's okay. But it is so much fun to find to convert someone to Whovianism. Oh yes, and because and I have done it to some of my friends. You know, like I have a friend, uh, Justin North, who's a friend of the show, and he uh, he we we just kind of get together. We kind of go together. You know, <laughs> did you see that? And you know, I have friend, other friends at work. But it's so fun to watch this kind of this sphere grow. And yeah. honestly, when I look at the Doctor and the eleven incarnations. It's no mystery to me why he's still around. He's a he's kind of a timeless character. I mean, no pun intended on the concept, but he really is. Like, and he continually kind of changes with the time. Um, what have been like? We, we've had we've had eleven doctors. 
Um, I know this is an impossible question. We're going to go, I want to know your favorite and your least favorite, if you can do such a thing. Well, the one that I think was under, or not really underplayed, but I don't think a lot of people think about think about him as much and mostly because a lot of his episodes were the ones that were destroyed mm-hmm. is the second doctor mm. Troughton I yeah. love Troughton's doctor um, with that when you had it was kind of the you got the first sense of uh, the little bit of zaniness this, the mm-hmm. doctor has and his his own search for adventure and the fascination mm-hmm. while still being this force who to be reckoned with mm-hmm. and it's also it's also very interesting now that we're on the 11th doctor watching some of the older doctor episodes and thinking to yourself he was just a he was he, it's like a child you could see him growing up yeah well, what's what's fun too is now that we've had so many doctors is mm-hmm. how certain ones almost kind of are parallel each other yes like i noticed it uh, with ten, with David Tennant's Doctor, mm-hmm. I went. I really like this fifth Doctor, and it was he was really similar. The two of them had a similar approach to the character. Yes. And then once Matt Smith showed up, I I I discovered the second Doctor. I'm like, these two guys, you know, comparing yeah. two to eleven, like these guys are great, and I love War Games. Um, I rewatched That's... that two years ago, and I was like, it's it's a little long, um, but it's such a great concept and story. Yeah, I think when you were having a difficulty getting into the older one, I told you to watch that one. Yeah, well, I was. You know, because admittedly, for those of you who are out there and finding it on Netflix, some of the older ones, you will have a hard time, I think, getting into. if you, if you Welcome can't, to the BBC budgets. Exactly. <laughs> if you can't suspend your disbelief, if you can't not see the puppet, or you can't not see the, the, the bad special effects. Or the green it, bubble wrap. Or the green bubble wrap. Yeah, I mean, some of the monsters... But if you there, so there are and there's still some episodes. I'll still go. Oof, this is a little too rough for even me right now. But there are still some that if you can look past that and get to the core of mm-hmm. the idea, the actual storytelling. There's some really great shows yeah. in the past. There's some really, and then there's some that honestly, like I was mentioning, Genesis of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be any different. I mean, no. there might be more camera angles, the music might be different, but, like, the story and the script and even a lot of the, the sets would be the same today. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's, there's some really cool stuff, and I, it's like, I, I, I like that kind of, and that number two is one of my favorites, and it might just because Matt Smith is the current Doctor, and he, they remind, <laughs> they remind me so much of each other, but two is definitely a high on my list of Doctors. Is there is there a time in the doctor's life that you uh, have appreciated him less? I don't like getting too negative in general, say, but it's like it, it's it's for me at least. It's kind of hard to find a negative about it. That's fair because there's just so much about. I mean, I don't really have a least favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, when everybody asks, usually, well, who's your favorite doctor? It's the yeah. one that travels on the TARDIS, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, oh, so no love for three. <laughs> I like three. <laughs> I love that. You gotta love how grumpy three is. I I, re- I watched uh, three's first episode, and it, it amazed me how similar it is to uh, nine's first episode. Yes, and I really like the I, the concept of the TARDIS being locked down and him being stuck on Earth without a TARDIS. It's like it's just a cool idea. I wouldn't want yeah. it revisited for an extended period of time, but it's like that's fun. 
that's kind of neat, and I, I loved him working with Unit, but um, wish yeah. we we should have more Unit. Yes, I love that they brought Unit back in a good yes. way recently because there was that time there with uh, Tenet and Eccleston where Unit was kind of the a a not really a bad guy, but just a in the way because they were kind of yeah. the voice of the government, and I like it that they brought back very specifically. Um, um, the daughter of uh, oh, oh a thousand Hoovians. Yes, a thousand Hoovians are screaming at their iPods right now. Yeah, Brig- the, Brig- the Brigadier's Brigadier daughter Lethbridge- came. Lethbridge Stewart. Yes, his daughter <laughs> is the head of this new unit, and they mm-hmm. worked with the doctor. And it was a one. Even if the episode in general wasn't the best ever, their interactions were the best, right. and I loved it. I, and I, I look forward to seeing her and this new unit. Yes, uh, back together. <sighs> so much <laughs> I don't know, we, we could we could talk on forever um, yeah is there anything else like i mean again this is i, I kind of feel like this is an opportunity to because this this podcast is really a podcast about movies that you should love um and we and we get into television some and different things mm-hmm. like this but i do feel like this is an opportunity for you and i to maybe uh grow that whovian sphere just a little bit more is there anything else you would like to say on the subject before uh, we kind of wrap up this little segment? Hmm. Let's see. Pretty much it will infect you. It will get into your skin. <laughs> and you may find a time where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go on to something else, but it'll always be in the back of your mind and you'll come back just as strong when you come back to it. And one thing I've noticed is when, as soon as you convert someone, you usually end up converting somebody who's a little bit more fanatical than you thought you were. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, when I when yeah. I first started it, or when I first started getting the like the Doctor Who novels at McKay's, um, I don't think they sold very well at all and it's like now we can't even keep them in stock no that, that that's been fascinating to me and um mckay's prices are based on supply and demand and so to see those prices just slowly click upwards on the dvds mm-hmm. on the books on everything that has doctor who on it has just yeah. been it part of me kind of is disappointed and the other part of me gets really excited because i'm like there are people in chattanooga who love doctor who i, I must find them <laughs> i know i mean when I first got my uh, my ringtone, well, not the ringtone, but for my uh, text messages, is the TARDIS. Yeah. I think I ended up giving you that file, and now it's you like, did. okay, was that you or me? Yeah. <laughs> we both had the TARDIS sound yeah. for our, our, our text, and so we, we would hear it, and you would just see both of us kind of look up and be like, yeah. you, me, you? Oh, okay. And now I can't go anybody anywhere without getting a text message, and somebody's like, I thought I heard the TARDIS. That is, and it's that- like, that is the most fun is uh, having Doctor Who T-shirts or like I have a a, a, a protector on my phone that's uh, the Van Gogh picture with the TARDIS on it, and to see people just like see their faces light up when they yeah. see that they go, <gasps> you know, or you'll kind of see someone go Alonzi, and you're like, yes, like we, we were down in Florida, and I I, did, I forgot that I had my Alonzi shirt on, and the guy kind of went, oh, you're here for the Doctor. And I was like, oh, no, I'm here to see Skyfall. And he's like, no, the doctor. And I was like, I don't, oh, the doctor, we're talking about the doctor. Because <laughs> I'm just handing him my tickets, and I didn't realize I had entered into a Whovian conversation. I was like, I'm sorry, you got me really distracted there. Is the doctor here? Because if he's here, you guys can go watch Skyfall. I'm out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it to me, it's fine. It, I still struggle with that whole, I'm now a part of a majority. It's weird, right? Yes. It's like, I love it, but at the same time, I'm starting to feel a little uh, intimidated. <laughs> well, you could become a hipster hoovy, and you know, you like the before <laughs> school. <laughs> push, your, push your brainy specs up a little bit, and you're okay. <laughs> brainy specs. I actually bought some. Oh, nice. Very good. <laughs> um, oh, there was something I was going to say to that. But, um, oh, that's the thing that I think is super cool about the show, too, is that I'm 32 years old, and I get excited, and I there are episodes that will kind of creep me to the edge of my seat. I mean, not all of them. Some of them are still kind of fun and just a little bit corny with attacking snowmen and whatnot. And, but then there are some that are legitimately a little bit creepy crawly getting under your skin, like Blink and yeah. a handful of other episodes. But it is still a great family show. You know, it yes. is a show that... Um, we're watching with our 14-year-old, and she is becoming infected, you know? And it's a show I would recommend to someone like, you have five or six-year-olds? Watch it with them. Yeah. But you guys are going to have a great time. And it never feels like a kid's show. Yet yeah. it never veers to adult either, while still having a lot of fun and having a lot of material for adults and for really the whole family. And I, I, I love that, because I feel like we need... I think we have our, sometimes our entertainment is too divergent, where we have stuff that is so kid friendly. It's disgust. It's just you know gross yeah. and sugary. Like I, I can't handle it. And then you have super adult content that you have to wait for the kids to go to bed or not be in the house at all. Right. <laughs> like here's something like I'm watching the doctor. You want to join me? You can. Yeah. <laughs> I That's love like it. when when the doctor came back on. Um, Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. who was a fan, um, his daughter had friends over. And he was like, well, they can stay if they want to, but I'm going to watch the doctor. And his daughter was just mortified. And then afterwards, she says, they want to know if they can come back over and watch it again next week. (laughs) What have you done to my life, Dad? Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's it. I think we're done here. (laughs) Okay. Have a good day, and I'll see you later at work. I will see you there. (laughs) Allons-y. After I got off Skype with Tanya, I realized there was a story that I needed to tell. Uh, There was... Because I've told other people before about Whovians, about this, this awesome community of fans that surround the television show and nobody really seems to believe me and when I tell people that the show is simultaneously a children's show and an adult show it's really a family show no one really seems to believe me because uh, at least I get that impression of uh, non-fans because uh, it's very easy just to see the the funny looking monsters and to see the the aliens and when you look at the really old shows to see as Tanya put it, the green bubble wrap. It's very easy to see some of that and to not be able to look past it and really see just a very, very corny um, type concept and idea and sometimes bad acting and the whole thing, you know. So anyway, um, at the beginning of this season, the current season, which is season seven, or series seven, I suppose, um, there was an episode called Asylum of the Daleks. Um, 
for those of you who don't know, the Daleks are the Doctor's greatest, oldest foe. They are they are the they are the creature that changed the course of the show back when it was originally airing, and they are like the reoccurring foe that has pled the Doctor the most, both on and off screen. Um, they are the they are the the things that caused the time war between the Time Lords and the Daleks, and they are his oldest foe. Well, there was an episode, like I said, episode one of season seven, it's called Asylum of the Daleks, and the, the storyline is, it's, it's a great story, you know, for the Doctor. It's a very fun, kind of scary episode, because the Daleks do have a tendency to, since they look kind of silly and sound a little silly, they have a tendency to be a little silly. Um, and so showrunner Stephen Moffat wanted to make them scary again. And so they have this episode where the Daleks basically uh, kidnap the Doctor and his current companions, Amy and Rory Pond, and make them go to this place, this asylum, uh, where they send the, the crazy Daleks, which is a scary concept unto itself. But they go down to this planet to... Um, basically, they need to... The, the Daleks want to destroy the asylum because uh, story. Anyway, the big thing about the story, what really, what will make this episode a personal favorite of mine for a very long time, is that we have come to know Amy and Rory. This was their, I believe, their third season that they had been on the show, and we've really kind of seen their entire life over what whether through flashback or through just the regular course of the story, we've really seen their entire relationship blossom. And, you know, they got married at the end of season one. And so we've really seen this really young couple, this flirty young couple, become something really, I think this really amazing married couple. And it's really neat to see because, well, for me, I love seeing a, a functioning married couple on television. Um, but at the, at the beginning of Season 7, there is a distance between Amy and Rory that we have not previously seen. There is something clearly wrong, and it, it as the show is unfolding, we're really realizing that a lot of it is coming from Amy herself. She is building a distance between them, and she is um, asking for a divorce from Rory. And we don't really understand it, because nothing that we've been shown up to this point in the show would really explain why she would be, be behaving that way. They are so clearly in love with each other, um, even though from time to time she has been tempted by the Doctor. The Doctor has no interest in her outside of her basically being his best friend, um, but she can't help but be kind of smitten with the Doctor a little bit. But ultimately, Rory is her man. Rory is the man she chooses over and over again. So it doesn't make sense why the, why there's this distance between the two of them at the beginning of season seven. Um, there are these little mini episodes that kind of chronicle their summer or their year in, in between adventures with the Doctor, but it still doesn't completely explain why they're so upset. It is then at a kind of a fairly climactic point in the story. Um, where there's lots of yelling, <laughs> uh, Amy reveals to Rory that she is infertile, that due to something that happened to her in a previous adventure, um, something that happened last season, she has discovered that she will never be able to have a baby. And she tells Rory 
you know, I will I won't hold you back. I'm not going to be the woman who denies you a son or a daughter or a family. Um, and Rory just looks at her and is just like, "You're so stupid," <laughs> and just goes like, "That's you know." No, you don't get to make that decision, and I would, you know, and it's it's one of the coolest, you know, and it's like her confession leads to like this resolution because Rory loves her, and that doesn't matter to him. Like he, yes, he wants a family, like anybody kind of does, but that's no reason to lose the love of your life, and it, it was kind of a divisive episode amongst some of the fans. Some of the fans didn't like it. They thought that that little twist kind of came out of nowhere and it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, but for those of us who have struggled with infertility, um, that's almost... That's the point. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a plot twist in your life that doesn't make sense and it comes out of nowhere. And the really cool thing that happened was there was a conversation that basically took place online on Tumblr and on Twitter and on Facebook between fans where, because of Amy and Rory facing this, people started talking about it. People started going, hey, I know what that's like. And they started sharing their stories and comforting people and finding a certain amount of catharsis from an episode that was, you know, that involved, you know, uh, Daleks and, you know, the kind of silliness that they have sometimes encapsulate. And so to me, that is, that is something that cannot be stressed enough in, in these fandoms for these superheroes. What does this have to do with movies? Um, not entirely sure at this point, but I do think this conversation is going a different direction than I originally imagined it would. And I've got, uh, two other interviews lined up still, uh, for this. Uh, but I'm not limiting myself to two more. If this is a conversation that we want to continue having, I gladly welcome it. In the meantime, um, please uh, find us at moviesyoushouldlove.com. Let me know what you think. Let me really—I'm I'm really curious about this. Um, th like I said, this is not at all the the direction I thought this uh, investigation was going to go. I'm actually kind of starting to feel like a, a detective in a film noir where. Um, some some saucy uh, woman in a red dress comes in and says, I need your help, and I start investigating it for her, and I quickly take a detour, and all of a sudden this is a much larger conversation than I ever thought it would be. In this analogy, I suppose that makes Leslie Foster a saucy, red-headed... Red-headed? Well, of course she's red-headed. <laughs> anyway, find us at moviesyoushouldlove.com, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook... Let me know what you think. I, I am really curious. This is a conversation I'm really, really enjoying. Uh, next week, we're going to sit down with Nick Young uh, and get his opinion on the subject because uh, he is the man that is uh, probably solely responsible for me getting back into weekly and monthly comic book collecting. Until next time. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.